Well, good morning, everyone out there in Facebook land. As Pastor Dennis mentioned, we, um, we do have toilet paper. Isn't that a great world that we live in that we have to be concerned about toilet paper? But I got to tell you something. This is some good toilet paper. It's heavenly soft. And uh, I'm really enjoying because there's nothing like a good toilet paper. Whenever you give something to someone, you got to make sure that it's good. So for some of you out there, it's always important to have a good piece of toilet paper near you. So we're having some fun. We're playing catch, Pastor Dennis and I. But we, uh, we welcome you this morning. Uh, we know that uh, it's been some, some challenging uh, goings uh, in our lives. Uh, we've been challenged with... Um, just life in general. Uh, it's been tough. We've been talking about detours for the last six weeks, and we're still in this detour. We're on this road. We don't know when the exit will come, but we have to understand that no matter what detour comes in our lives, we have to recognize that God is the one who's in control. There's nothing mistaken by him. He is the God of this universe, and nothing, nothing ahead of us God in his exhaustive foreknowledge knows what's ahead. He's in control. And anything that's ahead of us, we can rest assured that he is going to take care of it for us. We've been going through some of these different detours. We've been talking about it. We went through the life of Ruth, the book of Ruth, and we're entering into 1 Samuel. No, I am not going to the next book of the Bible because it's just working out that way. It happens that we're talking about an individual by the name of Hannah that had to also live with a detour in her life. And so today, we want to talk about traffic jams. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I'm traveling, and I used to travel, as I mentioned last week, for many, many miles from Dallas to Pennsylvania or Connecticut, and we would hit certain spots, markers, and we would travel We knew that at times when we were able to gain momentum, get on the road, get to our destination, and all of a sudden there was a traffic jam. And traffic jams can come in all different ways. They can come from congestion. When you're traveling, it could just be that there's many people on the road. And then sometimes when you have too many people on the road, it can cause a traffic jam. Then you have, when you have something like you're working through some of these other things like construction. I know when I'm traveling, I'm like, really? They got to do construction right now, right when I'm on the road, when I need to get somewhere? I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, sometimes we can feel that way, or sometimes it's just an accident and it's out of our control, or it's the weather. And I ask the question, why you're on the road if you know the weather's bad? But sometimes a weather storm can come or you're on the road for a long time, for a couple of days. And then most of all, the one that I know frustrates me more than anything in that traffic jam is when they're onlookers. I don't get it. I still, to this day, I'm 51 years old and it doesn't make any sense to me. Why do people have to look at an accident on the other side? Why can't they just keep driving? I mean, what, what's the big deal? You're really not going to see what's going on anyway. And that can cause a backup. I mean, you'd think the accident's on the other side and we're still backed up on our side. And so as we think about all these traffic jams, that's one of the things in which we want to make sure that we have to ask, why do traffic jams happen out of nowhere? And that's where it happens. It's sometimes that traffic jams just happen. How do we react to them, though? See, I just ask these questions and saying, how do we react when we encounter a traffic jam? I Meaning, do we get frustrated? Do we get angry? 
Do we lose our cool? Do we take it out on our family members? Do we take it out on the dog and kick the dog? Why do we react the way that we do? I think sometimes because it's out of our control. And we would sure love to be in control. We would love to get ahead of it and saying, come on, guys, let the lane open up. Tell the officer, tell all the medics, tell any first responder, get out of the way. I got to get somewhere. Sometimes we react in a way that's not honoring even to God. That's why I never put a sticker on the back of my car and say, I'm a Christian. Because at any moment, I can lose my cool, and I don't want anybody to know. But I have to be honest that sometimes it's challenging when you're in a traffic jam because you can't go anywhere. You're stuck. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. What do we do ultimately when we're stuck? And let me just ask this other question. When you hear the phrase traffic jam, does pain come to mind? I mean, does pain come to mind? Maybe you feel imprisoned in that traffic jam. Maybe you feel isolated in that traffic jam because you can't feel the freedom to get out of it. Or maybe it's the possibility that you want to be in control, you can't be in control, you see the bumper-to-bumper traffic, and it just takes you to a place you don't want to be. And it causes even pain. What kind of pain? It could be an emotional pain. I mean, I know that sounds kind of strange. You'd think a traffic jam would create emotional pain. Yeah, because at that point, you want to create some kind of outburst, but you can't. And then it could be psychological it could be something where you're just wanting to get out. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that when you're in a traffic jam, you're struggling, you're wondering where in the world, how are you going to get out of it? I want to tell you something that ultimately it's challenging. For me, I'm an extrovert and I'm an achiever. So I want to get to that next destination. I want to do something. I don't want to waste. If I see a traffic jam, all I see in front of me in the words, if I were visual, waste time. This is time wasted. I could be doing something right now. And sometimes it's just so hard and it can be so painful. But I just want to remind you that maybe we're in this traffic jam right now. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you just feel like you can't get out of it. Well, I want you to know that God is here present with us. You know, as we look at the book of 1 Samuel and we're kind of working through this, I want to just encourage you to just look to chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. Um, there is a storyline here, a narrative, again, such like Ruth. And as we look at the narrative, we have to look at the story. We have to look at the characters. We have to look at the plot. And we have to understand the background just a little bit. So Elkanah is a man who has two wives. Now, polygamy was never God's intention and never supported in Israel, but it was tolerated at the time. And Elkanah had two wives, Hannah, who we know and will understand is barren, and then Paniah, who is a woman who is able to have children and offer that to her husband as a family. So you have to understand that a woman, her joy, her passion, her desire, her dream is that when she gets married, she wants to have children. And it's something that God has provided, God has established, God has commanded. He's commanded, he's established the marriage between a man and a woman. And it's something of, of fruitfulness and what we're even commanded to multiply. And so in this time, we see a storyline where there are two women to one husband. But Hannah couldn't offer that. She was stuck. She was barren. She was childless. And she couldn't do anything about it. She was in a traffic jam. She was stuck. And here, as a person who can't have children, 
One is that it can be, you can be labeled as a social outcast. It can be serious emotional pain, psychological pain, a struggle that, frankly, I don't understand, but possibly another woman could, especially if there's a woman who has to experience this. So Hannah is going through a very child or struggling time, and she's working through it being childless. And then you have Paniah, who doesn't make it any better. Here she's provoking her. Here she's causing strain and struggle and difficulty and stress. And here she has to, Hannah has to just work through this and understanding why would even God allow it. So as we look through the different verses here, I just want to touch on verses 1 through 8 as we're looking at 1 Samuel. And as, we, as we're looking at this, this storyline, there's a few couple you know, verses here we want to touch on before we get to verse 9. So as we're working through this, let's understand a few things. Verse 3, it says this. Now this man used to go up year by year from this city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of host at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, was priests of the Lord. And so we have to understand that in this, in this background, in this, in this setting, that here was Elkanah going up, traveling, and it's hard to determine as, we, as I studied it because Shiloh is about 20 to 30 miles north of Jerusalem, and Ramah from where Samuel was born and where we see Elkanah and Hannah, it was possibly 15 to 20 miles between there. But we don't know how long the travel doesn't even have. The scholars couldn't even determine that. But in light of all of that, they traveled three times a year. They traveled three times a year to make offerings to the Lord because they had certain feasts. One of them was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And then it was the Feast of Weeks. And then it was the Feast of the Booths. So we would be the Feast of the Tabernacles. They were interchangeable in their statements or words. But the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was celebrated as a journey for the children of Israel during the time of the wilderness, the time of the Passover when God delivered them out and they would celebrate that feast. And then there was the feast of the harvest expressing gratitude to the Lord for his provision. It's known also as the feast of weeks. The feast of gathering was also thanks for the final harvest, also known as the feast of tabernacle. And so they would go three times a year to the central location of Shiloh to worship the Lord. And so as we look here in verse 3, we see that. And then verse 4, it provides some more information on us. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, Through, though the Lord had closed her womb. So here was Elkanah loving on his first wife and Paniah providing children, but he gives her a double portion. So you see the animosity. You see the bitterness. You see that she's an adversary because when it says in the next verse of chapter, or verse 5 in, in chapter 1, it says, then it goes into 6, and her rival, which is adversary. Hannah's highlighting that it was her rival that comes across, used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord 
had closed her womb. Now, now you got to notice something here. Because when rival's adversary provoked her means to thunder against, intentionally she's doing this. She's trying to hurt her. It's malice. It's slander. It's putting her down. It's bad enough that Hannah has to feel that she's a social outcast. But now Paniah has to just press on it a little bit more. Is it possible that we go through that in our own lives? Is it possible that we're challenged with that in our own lives? And see, she provoked her. And in verses 5 and 6, we have to notice that the narrator mentions one thing twice. That God had closed Hannah's womb. Some would say that, she, that God allowed it. But in the Hebrew, actually what she's saying is that, and the narrator and the author is saying, is that God himself... God himself closed the womb. So God was the one who did this. God was the one who allowed it. Now, you have to understand something too, that because this is an unavoidable irony in this story. The same God who in the Torah commanded humanity and specifically Israel to be fruitful and multiply, as we see in the book of Genesis, had made Hannah, the Israelite, powerless of satisfying the divine command. So God is giving her the opportunity to give life, but then he shuts her womb. And then we have to also notice, too, that the word Yahweh, Lord, is, is identified necessarily because when you use the word Yahweh, it's a covenantal promise. And with the covenantal promise, it's usually something that, that's going to come that's good. There's a purpose of it that's good. So then you have to ask, it begs to ask the question, how can God, who desires for all people to multiply, and he commands it, and he gives that creation, he offers that to all of us, and yet in his covenantal promise as Yahweh Lord, he wants something good to happen out of this. How can anything good happen out of this knowing that her womb is closed? If the woman is already a social outcast, then how can the challenge be? Where is she going to be able to continue forward? Of course, this is going to cause pain and anguish, weeping, struggle, and difficulty. But the challenge is here because we look at it, we notice that's the case. And we notice that she's afflicted, struggling, wondering what is happening. She's dealing with this pain, emotional, psychological pain. And so how do we understand that something good can come out of it? Well, we see the past. We see that through the life of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, who were barren, came Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And through the life of Joseph, God preserved his people, carrying them through Egypt and onward because God made a promise in his covenant that he would be with his people in the Messianic line. And the comforting note that's saying that from now on, even though God would allow pain, he would also allow deliverance. Because we understand that where God says that he allows difficulties and trials, he's there to deliver us. How about us right now? We're challenged. We're going through a challenge. We don't know what the future. We don't see it in front of us. We don't have a clue what's going to happen. But we know one thing, that God can deliver us in his timing. He's not mistaken by any of this, just as he was not mistaken by Hannah. In fact, he's allowing it. He's even caused it for a purpose. We don't understand in the storyline right now, but we hopefully will just soon be able to see this. And so as we see in verses 7 and 8, it says this, so he went on year by year. And this is Elkanah, committed, devoted to God, 
to go each year to show his family, to lead by example, to bring them forward three times a year, to, to go to celebrate the feasts, and to be able to go to Shiloh in the central location of worship. And as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, which is Hannah, she used to provoke her. And that was Peniah provoking Hannah. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Now, I, I got to be honest with you. I just want to throw a little, little slip in right here. In my culture, when you're hurting, when you're weeping, when you're sad, when you're angry, when you struggle, when you're going through difficulty, you eat. You always eat. There's always something there. You have to eat. And I think for now, for me, I understand that when I think about this and I see that she didn't eat, there was something wrong. Because in my culture, you always eat. And so it's important for us to recognize that eating is an important thing in my culture. But here, she's so hurt. She's in such anguish and pain and anger that she doesn't eat. Have you ever felt that way? Have you felt so sad that you pass food because you just, your soul is such an anguish? I've been there. I've been there. And I'm sure that you've been there too. But here, Hannah is struggling because she sees Peniah with the children. She sees her laughing with her children. She sees her as she's wiping their face after they eat. The joy and the hope. And here she walks away saying, I can't even offer children to my husband. And to know too that her husband loves her more than even Peniah. The struggle and the re desire to react and to re have revenge and to come forth in herself saying, that's it, Lord, I give up. I'm just going to go after her. I'm going to knock her out. No, the scriptures doesn't say that. In fact, Elkanah, her husband, goes up to her, as any typical male would do, because they would feel insecure thinking they have to provide everything for their wives. Hannah, why do you weep? <laughs> and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Really, the word is anger. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Hey, husbands, go say that to your wife today. <laughs> I don't know what reaction you'll get, but I got to assure you that mama loves her children. And when mama loves her children, no matter how much they love us as the husbands, they love their children and they love being with their children. And maybe right now you can't say that because you've been stuck with them for a little bit inside of a house for about six or seven weeks. But still, you have to understand that maybe it's hard for us as men because that was an insecure statement for Elkanah because that wasn't the case here. Hannah actually wanted to provide a child, wanted to be able to have children for her husband. So he, he might have made a, a rookie mistake there, but whatever the case, she was hurting. And so it's just for us to understand how important this is. So how in all of this and everything that she's going through and all the struggles and all the challenges that she's going through, when you have to understand and realize, what does she do with her pain? And what do we do with our pain if it was this difficult? Well, I just want to share a couple of things from the scripture that there are three things in which we can do while we're in pain, while we're struggling, while we're going through detours, while we're challenged, when we have a traffic jam in our lives. First thing is this, look to God to lighten our load. Look to God to lighten our load. Let's just, again, let's look at 1 Samuel verse 9, because now we're approaching the part where She's in pain. We've established that. We understand the anguish. And now it says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. She rose up. 
Now, she stood up, arose, and this is what it says. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. So we have to understand there's a permanent building there. There's a doorpost. Eli, not the most, I would say the, the one that you would want to have to be the priest because he, he was one that we would say and look at from the storyline that he wasn't the most just prominent one. But he was a priest of that time and God provided him to be that leader. And here she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. So she rose. She didn't create a bitterness in her heart to where she ran away from God. She looked to God. And she looked to God and she prayed and she sought the Lord to lighten up her load. So many times people, when they're bittered and pain, anguish, weeping, they try to run away from God. They even try to blame God. They even try to blame others. But she, Hannah, the woman of God that she was, she looked to God to lighten her load. How often that when we try to blame God, we're actually adding to our load. When we're struggling with whatever we're struggling with, we're just adding it on when we run away from God. But she lightened her load. And we understand, too, with her distress, the word actually means in the Hebrew, it's like a psychological pain. It, it was a psychological pain because she couldn't provide the child that she wanted to. And so she looked to lighten that load. And then Hannah goes into verse 11, which is so important right now, because now she's, she, he's going to verse 11, she says, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of, our li of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now, here's some things we got to remember. First, vow. She made a vow. She made a commitment. She said, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a vow with you. She's like, God, give me a child so then I can now dedicate that child to you. I don't know about you, but if you're a mom out there and you want to have a child to give him back to God, I'm not sure you might think twice on that. But here was Hannah. She just wanted to have a child so she can give him to God. An amazing woman of faith. But here's what she said, too. Listen to her position, because she calls the Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty, Lord God, and then she writes three times, she says three times, the narrator writes three times, servant. She recognizes that she is a servant. She's positioned before the Lord. She's humbled herself, submitted herself, saying, Lord, I'm stuck. I can't do anything about this. I recognize you give life and you can take away life. I am childless, but Lord, if is it possible that you can open up my womb so I can have a child and give him back to you? Wow. I don't know about you, but I'm not a woman, but if I were to have a child, I want to be able to have that child for myself. But she was willing to say, Lord, here he is. Just have him. And we'll see later in the story that it's important to catch that she recognizes he is the Lord Almighty. See, with us, our lives are not our own. We are bought with a price. We're not to live for our own agenda. Hannah got it. She caught it. She looked to God to lighten up her load. And even Jesus said it as we look at Matthew. Jesus said it in chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. See, the word there, actually, the verb is, is not come to me. That's an adverb in the Greek. But the verb in verse 29 is take my yoke upon you. Meaning when God allows us to go through struggle and pain and weeping and bitterness and psychological pain. And when we feel stuck and we can't get out and we feel isolated when we feel in prison, God is saying, come to me because I want to teach you something. Come to me because I want you to learn from me. Come to me because I want to have a relationship with you. Come to me because I want to have intimacy with you. Come to me because in your pain, I'm going to make you strong. Sometimes we don't want to go to the Lord in pain. We don't want to open ourselves up. We don't want to be vulnerable and transparent because we're afraid if we're weak, then everyone's going to see that we're weak. But it's in those times when we lay ourselves before the Lord and when we say, God, here I am. And then when we do, God is working in such a way because he teaches us and we learn from him and we grow and we grow in intimacy because that's why he created us to have relationship with him so now see god is allowing this pain closes up her womb to allow this pain for a purpose so she's stuck for a purpose sometimes when you're stuck you think what in the world is going on in my life why am i here god why are you doing this to me god's saying i've got this all planned out just trust me come to me i'll work this out see that's why we need to look to god to lighten up the load because he's got a plan Number two, in the midst of our pain, what should we do? We need to let it go. Stop trying to fix the situation. Now, I know you might say, oh, boy, here goes that expression, let go and let God. But that's not what I'm saying. Letting go doesn't mean that you let go of the situation. Letting go means stop trying to fix it. <laughs> stop trying to make it happen. Allow God to do a work. But you got to first let it go and believe God can get you through it. Here was, again, Hannah in the story praying. Eli saw her. She was praying to herself, and Eli thought she was drunk. But she assured him she wasn't drunk. She was simply pouring out her soul. Look in verse 15. It says this, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit, distressed, anguish and pain because I'm stuck. I'm in a traffic jam. I can't figure this out. I wish I could, but I can't. I don't know why God's made me childless, but you know what? I'm struggling right now. I haven't drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. You mean in the Hebrew, the word pouring is like the shedding of blood of an animal because the animal's dead. She's pouring out her soul because she's trying to die to self. She's trying to die in the midst of her pain. Do you know God wants you right there? Do you know that's his plan? He wants us to die to self. He wants us pouring out our souls. He wants us just panting for him. And here she's pouring out her soul before the Lord. She goes on to say, do not regard your servant, again, servant, as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety vexation. She was pouring out her soul. The psalmist says this in verse, in chapter 42, one through four, I want to read it to you. And we have, it's a great song. When you think about that song that we've sang for many years, as a deer pants for flowing streams, meaning that deer needs water. It's the source of life for that deer. So my, my soul pants. So pants my soul for you, oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Notice he says a living God because God is alive and he desires a relationship with us. And when we're struggling, we're in pain, he's not isolated us. He's not imprisoned us. He's not abandoned us. He loves us and he's allowing pain in our lives so we'll lean on him 
So we'll let go what we're trying to hold on to. What are you holding on to in the midst of this pandemic? Is God put a detour in your life because he's trying to get your attention? Is God put a detour in your life because he's saying, you know what? I want to do work in your life. If you just allow me, let it go. Just let it go. And here, the psalmist goes on and saying, when, I, when shall I come and appear before God? And he goes, my tears have been my food. No, see, that's why when we're hurting and we're anguished, we can't eat because tears become our food day and night. And while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Meaning the accusers, the provokers, the ones who are adversaries, the one who are the troublemakers trying to question. Then the psalmist says this, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng, with the multitude, and lead them in procession to the house of God. See, what he's saying is that it's through my pain that I've learned to turn to the Lord. And when I turn to the Lord, then I'm in front leading them to the house of God, which is the presence of God in his presence. See, it doesn't matter what we present to you today. If the Holy Spirit doesn't work in our midst, it doesn't matter what we do here. We need the presence of God. And through your pain and through your struggle and through your difficulty, God is the one who's going to deliver you as he has a great track record for that. And here he goes on to say this, with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keep festival. See, that's what it takes. We got to let it go. That's when we come to understand the true God. Here's the third thing. Let God work out the traffic jam in our lives. Let him work it out. Let him go. It's, it's, it's so hard for us. We've got to deny the pain sometimes. We try to. We try to be depressed in our pain. I've mentioned showing weakness, but you know what God's saying? We've got to deal with it. We've got to let God work it out in our hearts. We've got to allow the tears to flow, the struggles to come out, because that's what's happening with Hannah. Chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant you petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. See, she was willing to let God work in her life. She found that when I allow God to work in my life, then I can have peace. No more sadness. She was able to get up. She was able to eat and move on. We know that in everything, in this detour, in this struggle, in this difficulty, God is working it out. He's not mistaken. He's got a purpose for it. In fact, Romans 8, 28, we're reminded, as we know that for those who love God, all things work out together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. See, we're stuck in the pain. But ultimately, God's saying, you're stuck in my purpose. Because I have a purpose for this pain. And even with Hannah, she had a purpose. I want to share a quick story with you. It's called Pam's story. I'm going to read it to you. It says, more than 24 years ago, she and her husband, Bob, were serving as missionaries to the Philippines and praying for a fifth child. Pam contracted a disease, an infection, of the intestine caused by a parasite found in contaminated food or drink. She went into a coma 
and was treated with strong antibiotics before they discovered she was pregnant. Doctors urged her to abort the baby for her own safety and told her that the medicines had caused irreversible damage to her baby. She refused the abortion and cited her Christian faith as the reason for her hope that her son would be born without the devastating disabilities physicians predicted. Pam said the doctors didn't think of it as a life. They thought of it as a mass of fetal tissue. While pregnant, Pam nearly lost the baby four times, but refused to consider abortion. She recalled making a pledge to God with her husband. If you will give us a son, we'll name him Timothy and we'll make him a preacher. Pam ultimately spent the next two months of her pregnancy in both in bed and eventually gave birth to a healthy baby boy on August 14, 1987. The youngest son is indeed a preacher. He preaches at prisons, makes hospital visits, and serves with her father's ministry in the Philippines. He also played football. Pam's son's name is Tim Tebow. What a great story, nationally known. Presents the gospel wherever he goes. Bold with courage to share the gospel. What a story. She makes a pledge, a vow with God, and God fulfills it. She remembers God and God remembers her, kind of like Hannah. See, God remembers us in our pain, and he'll work it out for his purpose. I mean, look at, look at the end of this story. As we know, Samuel was born. Samuel was an incredible prophet of God. But here's what is being wrote, written in the narrative. They arose early in the morning, worshiped the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. That word remembered is a soteriological word in the Old Testament identifying that God had delivered his people because of his covenantal promise through Abrahamic covenant all the way through Jesus. The beauty of knowing that when God remembers our pain, he has a purpose in it. I want to encourage you. As you look at this passage, he goes on to say this, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And at the end, it says, for this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As the Lord, as, as he lives, he has lent to the Lord. What's your pain? What's your struggle? What are you feeling anguish and grieving and bittering, bitterness or struggling and you're weeping? What's going on? I know it's more than this COVID. I know that you're going through some detours. I know God has revealed some things to you. I've even saw some things happening in the lives of some people that they're actually growing closer to God. I've seen them growing closer to their family, but they're also growing closer to God. What will you do with your pain? Will you give it over to the Lord? Will you look to him? Will you let it go? And will you allow him to work in your life? I want to encourage you. He remembers. He knows your pain. He may be using it for a purpose. I think he is. Each one of us has to go through that. As we end our time together today, I want to encourage you this week to be praying. I want you to read through the book of Ephesians to recognize who God is and the practicality of how you, can, how you can work out your salvation. But today might be that day. 
that you say, Lord, I'm hurting and I need to take my pain and give it to you. I want to pray for you right now. And as I pray before we leave, may God really, truly convict you of an area in your life that you need to give over to him. Let me pray for you. Father, today is the day that you've given us. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to be able to meet with our people here on Facebook Live. Thank you that they're hanging in with us. We long to be together in person. We long to give a hug in due time. We long to embrace one another. But Lord, during this time, you long to embrace with your people. And we don't need to be in person for you to work in the lives of your people. We are the church. We're to be the church. And today, Lord God, we know that when we saw Hannah and the pain and the anguish and the struggle that she went through, how, Lord, we need you to do a work in us. Lord, I pray for whoever's out there, who's ever in pain, who's ever dealing with anguish, who's ever dealing with a situation that's causing bitterness, or maybe they're weeping because they're out of control, they're stuck in traffic, they're in a traffic jam, they don't know how to get out. Lord, it's out of their control. God, I pray that you would meet them to whisper in their ears, saying, I have a purpose for this, hang in there. Because, Lord, even though we might be stuck in a detour or maybe that we're stuck in a traffic jam, ultimately, Lord God, we're never stuck because you can get us out of it. You can deliver us. God, continue to do so. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to continue to do in our lives. Continue to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you this week. If you can join us Wednesday at noontime, Facebook Live. Have a great week. We'll stay in connection with you. God bless you.